Good morning, everyone, or who knows when you're listening to this, but it's June and Joe show episode 22. Yeah. Be, hey, how are you, June? It could be the middle of the night when they're listening to it because uh, we record and, and push this out now the day we record, but we you can watch it by video. You could listen to our podcast. So however, however you're listening to us or watching us, thanks for tuning in again. Yep. And we have some interesting things to talk about today, Joe. Want to start with the 46 candidates who qualified for the recall ballot? Yeah. And man, it's a lot less than the last time around. Uh, last time we had a recall, you might know the exact number, but it was you know almost 200 candidates, I think. Uh, and they're saying that part of the reason the number is so low, or relatively speaking, so low is because of the new requirement to disclose your tax returns that California put in place for, frankly, trying to trying to trap or trying to target uh, President Trump. And uh, obviously, I think everyone knows President Trump never revealed his tax returns, as uh, all candidates had done in modern history before him. And so the uh, left-leaning Democrats in Sacramento decided to pass a law to require it here in California. Um, I actually don't know how far down that goes. I, I don't know if I ran for city council again, if I'd have to disclose my tax returns. But um, the interpretation by Shelley Weber, uh, Shirley Weber, our new uh, secretary of state, was that that requirement applies in this recall. And uh, and so there were some like Larry Elder, who I know has a lot of uh, a lot of popularity out there, uh, didn't submit those tax returns or only partial tax returns. And initially, the secretary of state said he's not on the ballot. Well, he sued and the judge said, no, this requirement doesn't apply to recall elections. Um, it only applies, I guess, to primary elections. So, yeah, 46 candidates. Apparently that requirement detracted a number of people. Um, but I, I, I don't like the whole requirement of disclosing your tax returns to be a I candidate. I don't either. And I think... Um it did detract a lot of people from finishing up their paperwork and it kind of stinks for everyone who did disclose their tax returns. And now it turns out they didn't have to. So we were at 41. Um, Larry Elder filed the lawsuit and clarified that the tax returns in the primary requirement does not apply to a recall election because it's not a primary. And now we're up to 46 because I guess there were a handful of other candidates whose only missing requirement was the tax return. So um, I don't know whether the Secretary of State keeps those tax returns up on the website like she had been doing for the last several days. It'll be interesting to see how they handle that for everyone who did disclose five years worth of their tax returns. Yeah, no, it's it's interesting. We'll be talking about something else uh, related to this a little later in this episode, but there's sort of this concept now that everybody's okay with no privacy in any regard. And, you know, it's I've been someone who says, look, if I'm going to voluntarily give my privacy up to corporate America in certain ways, then that's my choice. But we're really starting to talk about, particularly with this example, giving up your privacy to the government. I mean, to, to be a candidate for office, which I think there's almost nothing more democratic, more at the foundation of our country than, than running for office, you have to disclose how much money you make. I mean, that's a pretty extreme invasion of privacy. And, and you and I are both lawyers. We know the law in California heavily protects people's financial information like that. And yet California, if you want to take some, you know, one of the most democratic steps by running for office, you have to, you have to have that, you know, extreme invasion of privacy in my view. 
Right. I think we are dealing with this in so many different respects right now. I mean, I'm sure that more information about like vaccination requirements and things like that will come down the pipeline um, as we continue into this um, post-pandemic era. So what what extent will this actually go to? Will we have no privacy at the end of the day? It's um, a slippery slope for sure. Yeah, because you, you hit the nail on the head. I mean, we're talking about um, you know, financial information given to the government if you want to be a candidate. With the UCs and, and uh, CSU system, the higher education system, which is a public, you know, government university, uh, we're having to reveal our health records. In other words, are we, are we vaccinated or are we not vaccinated? Um, I mean, the intrusion in our, in our medical privacy, our intrusion in our financial privacy, with the government. Again, I'm not talking about corporate America where I could choose not to be on social media or I could choose to have a flip phone instead of a smartphone. This is the government saying, if you want to um, participate in society, um, and again, running for office, like I said, that's that's a, that's a right that we have in this country. And they're saying, well, we're going to invade your privacy if you decide to do that. Yeah. I mean, I think that there was a lot of, um, there were a lot of candidates who probably didn't want you all to know how much they make or how little they make. Um, I think that some people just want to present an image and don't want to back it up with tax records. And that's absolutely their right. Their financial privacy rights should not be invaded because they wanted to run for governor. With that said, it's kind of nice to not have 200 people on the ballot. Oh, I agree. <laughs> I'm not saying I wish there was a different way to weed people out, you know. Absolutely. Um, uh, it, it's, the, it's the invasion of privacy and your financial information that I just think is is un-American. It's just mm-hmm. not, it, it's not the benchmark that we should have in place. Uh, I mean, in, in some ways, you mentioned embarrassment. I mean, in some ways you are furthering that politics is a rich person's game. And, you know, if there's somebody, uh, the, the, the nurse or the, you know, bit small business owner who frankly has not been making much money and says, I want to get involved in this process and I want to change the game. Uh, I want to run for office, but I don't want my neighbors to all know that I'm hurting that, you know, I made no money in the last five years or whatever. I mean, again, they, that, that's not the way this should be played. You could. T- this is my fired up moment of our. Of our- <laughs> I agree with you a hundred percent because it just seems like where do we end? Where yeah. where does it stop? Do I have to disclose how much money I have in my pocket right now? Not that anyone carries cash anymore. Right. But um, let's talk about further privacy invasion yeah. with the vehicle's mild travel tax. This is a great segue. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's the thing. I mean, here's another example. Sandag, uh, I'm sure all of you listening and watching us know what Sandag is, but it's the Regional plan, uh, Transportation Planning Agency in San Diego County. And, you know, histo- recent history, they've proposed these big five moves, uh, five big moves, which are uh, spending all of our tax dollars on transit, not literally all of it, but almost all of it, something like uh, over 60% of the money on transit, 20 something percent on roads. And I'm assuming the rest is overhead, but, um, uh, they want to now impose a mileage tax. And today actually, which is Friday, July 23rd, I think is the last day for public comment on this. Uh, but they want to impose a mileage tax and 
charge people by the mile. It's part of their effort to raise $160 billion with a B. Insane. Insane to to put into mostly transit, buses and rail. Uh, And even in their own projections, when it's fully built out, they expect somewhere between 7 to 9% to use mass transit that they're investing all of this money in, which they never hit their projections. So 79% is optimistic. Well, I think that um, when we were looking into this issue, when we were both running for office, we found out that only like 3% of San Diegans are even open to using transit. And I always say, yeah, I'll use transit when I can cart my kids' soccer equipment on um, a trolley or can I do my Costco run on transit? Like San Diego was built to be a suburban town. I mean, we spread across um, the county in ways which was not meant for to be a huge metropolis. So to kind of take our infrastructure now and then drop transit into it, it just doesn't make much sense for the way San Diegans live their lives. Um, But who cares what San Diegans think, right? (laughs) They know better than they know better than us on how they are going to spend our tax dollars. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and and I, I, as you said, I dug into this as well when I was running for office, there was a, um, a preliminary plan for, uh, you know, the light rail and and all of these uh, managed lanes, by the way, every, uh, every freeway, every freeway in, I shouldn't call it a freeway anymore, highway in San Diego County would be like the 15 uh, lanes that you pay for. And, and so that's part of this plan too, is that you are paying to use the freeways, which again, they're not freeways anymore. They're freeways. Uh, freeways. <laughs> um, but I, I dug into the plan and, and for the light rail in the district I was running in, District 5, City of San Diego, there would have been two stops in the entire district, which includes 100, over 155,000 people. And I thought that is not realistic, that two stops can accommodate, even if even if 5% of people are using on a regular basis, that's that's not enough. And then, of course, if you add stops, it slows the whole system down. It, it's not as efficient, less people use it. Um, it. It's just a completely pie in the sky, unrealistic plan. And again, this mileage tax is the government. It would be tracking your car wherever you go. And- Which brings us to the privacy concern of should Big Brother know every step you take and every stop you make? And it wouldn't be voluntary. It's, no. it's not voluntary. So again, here we are and it's, they're tracking you for the purpose of taxing you. I mean, it's, it's absolutely insane. Absolutely insane. And so, let's also briefly consider how expensive it's going to make everything else. We're dealing with massive inflation right now, but let's make everything even more expensive because those taxes that delivery drivers and um, Uber, Lyft drivers, ride share, um, Across the board, things have to get from point A to point B. And if it gets more expensive to bring things from point A to point B, ultimately, that's an increased cost to the consumer. Yeah. And by the way, it's important for people to know the way this decision gets made is by a almost literally handful of people. It's actually, I think, eight people on Sandag board is all they need because of the weighted vote. Saying all the weighted vote, I won't go into, but it's eight people that are hyper pro-transit, not at all concerned about increasing of of taxes. And they alone can can vote in a way that imposes $160 billion, at least in 
today's dollars projected, it's going to be way more than that, I'm sure, if it ever got built out and also invade your privacy forevermore with your cars. So think about Fantastic. that. <laughs> That's what's important. Everyone gets out and votes. Yes. And, you know, we always say that local elections are so important and paying attention to who you elect at the municipal, county and state levels is crucial because of decisions like this and the impact it has on our daily lives. Absolutely. Well, the last thing in the last couple of minutes, uh, if, if people had a chance to, to catch this, but the San Diego City Council is, is considering an increase in sewer rates, which I guess have not been increased in a while. Uh, I understand that obviously costs go up, particularly in the government. Things are not efficient, so costs go up even more than they might in the private sector. But the city of San Diego is considering a 17% increase in your sewer sewage bill, your water sewage bill. By the way, you pay this in part of your water bill. Um, and it would be at 31% over four years, which just seems astronomical. It is so high. I mean, I understand that the price of things have to go up and that they haven't incrementally increased it in a very long time. But maybe they should have thought about the fact that it is a punch in the gut to a middle-class family who's paying their bills on a single-family home to have a 31% increase in their sewage costs over the next several years. Yeah, I know. I just don't know how, I just know how people can honestly continue to live here. Um, and if you're fortunate enough to have bought a house before the crazy home prices. I mean, they've always been crazy, but they're just outrageously crazy right now in the last year or so. So, I mean, if you're fortunate enough to, to you know, live in a home, have, have a rent that you're locked into before those prices went way up, now all of a sudden you're getting hit with, you know, potentially 31% increase. I'd have to dig into it more, but I think if I was on the city council, had I gotten elected, I'd probably vote against this. I think there probably needs to be some increase, but- That's I why you say, all should have voted for Joe. <laughs> but I would say- you know, let's figure out, let's figure out how to actually save some money here too, so that we're not, you know, like you said, punching in the gut of the middle, middle class families here in San Diego. Right. It would be interesting to see how much they tried to cut the waste before they increased the price, but we are almost out of time. We are. It goes quick. <laughs> we'll see you next time on episode 23. Yeah. Good to see you, June. Take care, everyone. Bye.